You're listening to the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, recorded in the studio of Maine Magazine at 75 Market Street, Portland, Maine. Download past shows and become a podcast subscriber of Dr. Lisa Belial on iTunes. See the Dr. Lisa website or Facebook page for details. Here are some highlights from this week's program. In a sense, it's easier to leverage a good idea in Maine. That's the value of smallness, whereas if you're in Silicon Valley or LA or some of the bigger centers of entrepreneurial development, it's a lot harder to get people's attention. So good ideas rise to the top quickly and have a support network, and that's what's different. The first thing that we work with our clients on is understanding their business better and what their goals are so that we can help them come up with the best plan for them. And the fact that we worked with businesses nationally helps us because what will work for a roofer here in Midcoast, Maine may also work for a roofer in Bakersfield, California or in Kenosha, Wisconsin. And so we're able to bring in the best practices that we see from around the nation to our businesses in the local markets, which has been really successful. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is made possible with the support of the following generous sponsors. Maine Magazine, Marcy Booth of Booth, Maine, Apothecary by Design, Premier Sports Health, a division of Black Bear Medical, Dr. John Herzog of Orthopedic Specialists, Sea Bags, Mike LePage and Beth Franklin of Remax Heritage, Ted Carter, Inspired Landscapes, and Tom Shepard of Shepherd Financial. This is Dr. Lisa Belial, and you are listening to the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, show number 108, Economies of Scale, airing for the first time on Sunday, October 6, 2013. Today's guests include Philip Conkling, founder of the Island Institute and contributing editor to Maine Magazine, and Shannon Kinney, founder and client success officer of Dream Local. I did not learn how to host a radio show in medical school, nor did I learn how to create the business that would enable a radio show to become financially sustainable. Although some of the skills that have been important in my doctoring career, learning how to listen, how to problem solve, and how to organize, to name a few, have proven equally critical in my radio show life, there were many skills I had yet to learn. Now in our third year of the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, and on our 108th episode, I continue to learn new skills and practice the ones recently acquired. Here in Maine, the entrepreneurial spirit is alive and well. We work with the resources we have, creating new and interesting products to share with the world. No small feat given our geography and relatively small population base. This is our birthright. We are farmers and fishermen, mill workers and river guides. We are fiercely independent and at the same time, admittedly interdependent. We rely heavily on our community as we pursue our entrepreneurial paths. I've relied heavily on the community at Maine Magazine and the Maine Media Collective as I've learned the skills necessary to bring this radio show to life. More importantly, I've learned which skills I lack and which tasks are more efficiently and effectively performed by others. This week's radio show guests Philip Conkling, founder of the Island Institute and contributing editor at Maine Magazine, and Dream Local founder and chief client success officer Shannon Kinney, understand the entrepreneurial process. 
entrepreneurs themselves, they have brought their unique talents to Maine, creating and nurturing organizations that act as valuable resources for our community. Their organizations brighten the face of the local economy. Like me, they've learned many of their current skills as they've gone along, never assuming that their formal education would meet all of their future needs, and always seeking to hone the skills that would make their businesses a success. I'm fortunate to spend time with individuals such as Philip Conkling, Shannon Kinney, and the team at the Maine Media Collective. Long after my graduation from medical school, my education continues. We hope you enjoy our conversations with Philip Conkling and Shannon Kinney, and find your own entrepreneurial spirit nourished today. Thank you for listening. Our next guest is someone that I first met on a main island, in fact, at a lobster festival just off the coast of um, Mount Desert Island. Um, this is Philip Conkling. He is the president of Philip Conkling and Associates, formerly um, of the Island Institute, in fact, the founder of the Island Institute, and also uh, a contributing editor now for Maine Magazine. But I didn't know him as the man with all of this um, really impressive background when I first met him on this island. What I was impressed by then, Philip, was the fact that you and Peter Ralston cared so much about this little tiny fishing village off the coast of Maine to yourself show up personally and see what what was going on. Yeah, Fr- <clears throat> Frenchboro, it, it was, um, I remember the first time that I saw it uh, was before the Island Institute, and it literally seemed to be just slipping into the sea. I mean, the the houses around the harbor had not been renovated in a very long time, and the school population was down to a single student. Uh, and uh, really, uh, the year that Peter and I started the Island Institute, uh, David Lunt, for whom the Lunts have been on Frenchboro since, as he says, forever, uh, called me up and he said, I don't know what you guys do at the Island Institute, but uh, we, we we are afraid our community is going to turn into just a summer colony unless we can attract new families here with kids to put in the school. And that really was, um, a, a, it marked uh, the beginning with David Lunt's vision of Getting, he thought he could get a piece of land donated to the town and build um, six or seven new houses to attract um, what uh, became known as the homesteaders or the homesteading project. Of course, Islanders being very practical, um, they called them breeders. That's what we need here. We have to, we need, we need young families with kids to keep the school going. And uh, it it took a long time, but it was uh, it was successful. All the houses were built, and uh, uh, they're all occupied. And the school is is um, is one. It's still a, a one. It's actually a two room schoolhouse now, with upper and lower grades, and uh, a pretty full house. Why why did the islands? Why do the islands matter enough to actually create an entire institute around them? Well, um, at the at the right before the beginning of the 20th century, there were 300 year-round island communities. They really defined uh, the character of the coast of Maine because all of the transportation patterns were in the water. Uh, you know, the deep water channels connected the islands uh, and the entire coast of Maine with 
ports all over the world, and we shipped our products to to Europe and to the Caribbean, and ultimately to um, the seven seas of the world. By uh, the time I came along in the in the beginning in the uh, mid '70s, w when I started to visit islands. Eventually, I discovered that of those 300 island communities, there were only 14 left. And if that kind of decline had occurred to a species of wildlife, of course, there'd be, you know, an endangered species program, you know, associated. But because it was, you know, humans and because we're so mobile, you know, until you stop to think about it, it's, um, well, it's just sort of people shrug. Well, that's just the way it is. But those 14 communities that were, remained were, were pockets of some of the most um, passionate people about what it takes to keep a community going. And they weren't, they had given up, and it seemed like that was an admirable thing, and that, that friends from, you know, kind of far and wide might get inspired by their example of community. Some of your interests came about through work that you did um, in forestry. You, in addition to having a degree from Harvard, you also went to the Yale School of Forestry and Environmental Studies, and you have a Master of Forest Science in Natural Resource Management. So you went from the woods to the waters, but the ecology of it, it sounds like, had some fascination for you. Yeah. I mean, basically, what, what happened to me is that um, I graduated from college in a time of there was great unrest and upheaval, um, 1970. The expression was um, then, if you turn the country up on its side, everything loose rolls into California. So I, you know, I went to California. I taught school for two years uh, up in a little gold mining town in the Sierras. And I loved the wide open spaces of the West. But the first question that everybody asked you in California or back then was, where are you from? Because no, nobody seemed to be from there, and everybody was headed somewhere else. It was a very, you know, I missed the rootedness of the East and the, uh, particularly of New England, uh, where I had gone to college. And so um, Maine was uh, the place that had both space of the West, but a rootedness of New England. And I so I came here kind of on a wish and a prayer. I had one friend who um, hired me to help he and his wife winterize their family's summer house in Cherryfield, Maine, in, in Washington County. And uh, uh, they, they were ultimately defeated in that. But I had made so many noises about, I'm going to Maine. I'm going to spend the winter there and so on and so forth. I felt like I couldn't leave. And so I stayed after they left. I got a little cabin to caretake and did what everybody in Washington County did, which is I, I, I went into the woods in the winter to cut, to cut pulp wood for international paper, and I dug clams in the spring and the fall and raked blueberries up on the barrens in the, in the summer. And I did that long enough to realize that I, I loved the people and uh, the culture and decided, you know, I need to figure out how to work with my head as much as with my body. And so uh, I went back to forestry school, and that was, um, that was how it happened. And just parenthetically, you know, I, I wanted to go into the North Woods because I thought that's really where... Um, that, you know, I had read Thoreau and all of that, and it seemed like, you know, just the the most romantic part of Maine. 
uh, but between my two years at forestry school was a housing recession, and so none of the companies were hiring uh, interns. And I saw a little notice on the forestry school bulletin board, collect baseline ecological data on 12 main islands. For this volunteer organization back then, it was um, the main chapter of the Nature Conservancy. They had no staff. I mean, they're now the largest environmental organization in, in Maine and in the country, the national organization. So, um, yeah, I, I just started visiting their islands that they had not been to and collecting information for them. And it was just completely mind-boggling what, what, I mean, I thought they were all going to be the same. And um, they were just all different. They had all had some kind of human uh, some, some had had all variety of human uses and those uses had deflected their ecological trajectory into different you know into different complexes of plants and animals so it was like the uses of the past were indexed in the landscape give me an example of that when you're talking about what the trajectory looks like and when you're talking about a human on an island and what that means so um so yeah, so um, well, you know, there are probably twenty islands uh, called Sheep Island off off the coast of Maine, and those um, those were uh, islands that were pastures for for sheep. You didn't need to build any fences. You um, so basically you would you would cut down the trees and and burn them, and that would bring grass back, and uh, you'd put sheep out, and they. Sheep, unlike you know cows and other um, livestock, they get all of the water they need out of the vegetation that they're eating. And in the winter time, if they stay there in the winter, they um, forage off of seaweed in the intertidal. So, you know, the so so many of the islands just became like um, past you know pastures. Um, there, of course, there's Cow Island and Hog Island and all of those uh, kinds of things. But there are also 33 major island quarries uh, scattered on the along the islands not <clears throat> they weren't on the mainland because there was no e- easy way to transport granite from the mainland it was it was where the the shipping lanes came right past these places like Dick's Island and High Island and Crotch Island off of Stonington and and islands off of Mount Desert Black Island and and Hurricane Islands probably the most famous uh, and one of the things that I was supposed to do in those early, in that, that very first island um, project for the Nature Conservancy was, was to visit Hurricane Island, uh, which the, was the headquarters of the Outward Bound School. And they had permission to use the Nature Conservancy islands for their programs. But the the trustees of the Nature Conservancy w- well, wanted to know, well, you know, they they put students out there without anything to eat and, you know, and, uh, you know, with just a tarp and jug of water and what kind of ecological impact are they having? Are they grazing our islands down? And uh, so I met the Outward Bound people and and, uh, they then hired me to survey the 200 islands that they had, privately owned islands they had permission to use. And uh, that was a a uh, three-year-long project, and at the end of it, I had been to more islands than anybody else, and that's sort of what then uh, springboarded uh, me into starting the Island Institute. 
Here on the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, we've long recognized the link between health and wealth. Here to speak more on the topic is Tom Shepard of Shepard Financial. Maine is an island of sorts. And on this island, if you want to have fun, take steel rails and turn them into a twisting, looping, falling thrill ride. If you want to go somewhere, take the same idea and turn it into a network of interconnecting tracks. If you want to have fun, carve out a dirt track and go fast around it. But if you want to meet people places, then take the same idea and turn it into a network of interconnecting paths, roads, and trails. If you want to have fun, connect a circuit to an explosive device and blow things up. If you want to empower the people you meet, take the same ideas and harness energy to make life easier. If you want to have fun, create a way to make lots of money. But if you really and truly want to find meaning in the things you enjoy, then take money and your dreams and get your value connected to the network of people you meet going places to have fun. I can't think of an easier place to make this come together than right here in Maine. You are two degrees away from meeting the people that can make your fun dreams a sustainable reality. Come and live in Maine. Get connected. If you need help, we are right here in Yarmouth and Harpswell. Let's get connected at info at shepherdfinancialmaine.com. Man, who'd so enjoy helping you evolve with your money? Securities offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA, SIPC. Investment advice offered through Flagship Harbor Advisors, a registered investment advisor. Flagship Harbor Advisors and Shepherd Financial are separate entities from LPL Financial. There was a time when the apothecary was a place where you could get safe, reliable medicines, carefully prepared by experienced professionals, coupled with care and attention, focused on you and your unique health concerns. Apothecary by Design is built around the forgotten notion that you don't just need your prescriptions filled, you need attention, advice, and individual care. Visit their website, apothecarybydesign.com, or drop by the store at 84 Marginal Way in Portland and experience pharmacy care the way it was meant to be. The October issue of Maine Magazine features an article that you wrote um, about entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs in Maine. And um, it's interesting to think about entrepreneurs in Maine because it's there, as you point out in the article, they're not a new thing. We've always had people who have had to figure out what the resources are around them and extract something for them in order to get fulfillment in their lives or get paid pay their mortgage, pay their rent. But there seems to be a generation now that's harnessing technologies that have not been in existence the way that we've had pulp and paper in existence. What was it like to be exploring this business-like ecology? What I loved about this assignment was um, meeting people who had an idea and you know, we're really willing to risk a lot to test their idea in the marketplace. Uh, having when when you start something yourself, you know how well. You don't know at the time how risky it is. I mean, you look back and you thought you think, "Thank God I didn't know what I know now, because I never would have started." The uh, it's really hard, and yet 
he, the um, what I loved about these stories was discovering not only uh, example after example after example of people starting their own business businesses, but how um, there is now an ecosystem around them that I, that just didn't exist. I don't think even five to ten years ago, or at least I wasn't aware of it. The ecosystem of angel investors, small business advisors, uh, people who have come to Maine or you know have been successful in Maine that are willing to serve on the boards uh, of directors of these new companies and give and mentor them and give advice and so it's not quite as you know you're just on your own you're going to succeed or fail and uh, God bless you it's uh, there is a you know, a fabulous network of both public and private uh, organizations, the Maine Technology Institute, the Small Enterprise Growth Fund, the Maine Angels, uh, groups like that that are all highly networked with each other, the Maine Center for Entrepreneurial Development. All, you know, and they, it, it turns out, I mean, we used to say, Peter and I used to say to each other in the early years of the Island Institute, you know, there are only 11 people in Maine, and everybody just trades places all the time, so it looks like they're more of, you know. And, uh, I mean, that the, the value of, of being small is that you know, a, a lot of people know each other, and a lot of, you know, so that means that well, you know who you should talk to about your idea? You know, you should see this person. They're likely to be interested. And uh, so it's, in a sense, it's easier to leverage a good idea in Maine. That's the value of smallness. Whereas if you're in Silicon Valley or, you know, L.A. or some of the bigger centers of entrepreneurial development, Route 128 in Boston, it you know, it's a lot harder to get people's attention. So, um, so you know, good ideas rise to the top quickly and have a support network, and that's what's different. This past summer, I spent time um, working as a physician temporarily in Greenville and also Sangerville and spent time in the towns of Newport. And um, it was very interesting for me to see... Um, what the impact of the local economy had on health, and specifically what the impact of the loss of, for example, mill jobs had on the local townspeople. It, 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 it seems like this is a good time. I mean, we have corporate structures that have crumbled, things that we thought were always going to be there, banking institutions, um, other financial institutions. They've gone away. Um, just the way that the mills did in Maine. And it seems like this is a good time for um, for growth, for creativity. And it, and Maine seems well positioned to um, embrace this. Yeah, I, if I could generalize a little bit from the lessons we learned in island communities, I, I think it applies to all Maine communities. And that is that when we first came to the islands, the you know, we're we're from away. I mean, I was not born on an island, and I grew up in the Hudson River Valley of New York. Peter grew up in Chad's Ford, uh, Pennsylvania, 
the there is um, you know the the distinctions of being from here and from away were very you know it was just a a real black and white kind of thing and uh, one of the things that that we kept saying uh, to say seasonal residents you know um, there's a way to help you know you don't you there you, you shouldn't get all focused on people saying well you're from away I mean that that can feel insulting to people you know and, and could and and sometimes um, people who are you know, feel like, well, I'm not going to participate because um, clearly people in my community don't want people from away to be too involved. So uh, our job was kind of to help translate between uh, those uh, two cultures, if you will, or those two populations, those who are from here and those who are from away. And every small community has lots of people from away that I mean, they come here for the quality of life, for the small town, uh, you know, the values of persistence and frugality and thrift and honesty and hard work. Those are really compelling values. And, uh, and, and we say to, we, we would say to Islanders, you know, there are people that admire your community and want to help. And that's not a bad thing. And, you know, so getting that dialogue going uh, between people who are from here and from away who really uh, uh, want the same thing. They want, everybody wants schools to, to work, to be, you know, to remain open. And uh, if you're thinking of moving here or if you move here, you know, you <clears throat> just because you may have made that decision, you want your kids to have whatever opportunities may exist for them in the whole world. They want, you know, so you don't, you, everybody wants good schools, whether you're from here or away. Everybody wants s- small businesses that, that work and provide services. And everybody wants, a, wants an environment that's not degraded. So, you know, there's plenty of common ground, um, plenty of things to rally around, and that's, um, that's what I think is, is easy to miss when, you know, you kind of get stuck on, you know, cultural signals that may, you know, seem like initially, well, either they don't want me or, you know, I don't want to be a part of this. So what I think I hear you saying is that there is room for creativity and there is room for people who have a different sort of background and have been in Maine longer and there are ways that if people are willing to start working together that we can actually rebuild what um, we may have lost. Yeah I mean it's really the idea of the commons and and I mean we have we have um, town commons town greens I mean they are the they are the literal heart and soul of most communities, and it means that you come there to to find common ground at town meeting. You're looking for common ground, and you know these are wonderful, just very powerful traditions in our in our history and culture. And <clears throat> so there's there's a lot to to draw on, and as long as you don't sort of get, uh, it, you know, all hung up on. Uh, you know, just who, 
the the phrase that I remember my neighbor telling me after I said, you know, our four boys were born here, and I said, well, I I may not be a Mainer, uh, but my boys will. And he said, just because a cat has kittens in the oven, don't make them muffins. You know, I mean, and he was being funny, and it was funny, and you know, you you can't take that seriously. You can't you can't feel excluded by that. It's just part of the culture that you are you have to embrace. Well, I hope that you and your wife and your muffins or non-muffins, <laughs> your four boys, I hope that you continue to enjoy this next stage in your life. It sounds like you're doing some very exciting and interesting things um, with. Philip Conkling and Associates, and I encourage those who are listening to go to the October issue of Maine Magazine and read the article about entrepreneurship, because it's a, it's a fascinating read. So thank you for being with us. We've been talking with Philip Conkling, uh, contributing editor of Maine Magazine, and now of Philip Conkling and Associates. Well, it's been my pleasure. Thanks so much, Lisa. As a physician and small business owner, I rely on Marcy Booth from Booth, Maine, to help me with my own business and to help me live my own life fully. Here are a few thoughts from Marcy. In simple terms, economies of scale are achieved when efficiency and productivity go up without increasing the costs of doing business. Essentially, you're able to accomplish more by making certain that systems and processes are in place to ensure that output meets demand. Sounds simple enough, doesn't it? But you would be surprised by how many small businesses don't apply those same theories to their own financial operations. What can be done to make certain that invoicing, collections, bill paying, and payroll are integrated to take advantage of this economies of scale? The short answer, a lot. You are able to do more and create more. You just need to know where to look. I'm Marcy Booth. Let's talk about the changes you need. Boothmain.com. This segment of the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour is brought to you by the following generous sponsors. Mike LePage and Beth Franklin of Remax Heritage in Yarmouth, Maine. Honesty and integrity can take you home. With Remax Heritage, it's your move. Learn more at rheritage.com. Using recycled sails collected from sailors and sailing communities around the world, sea bags designs and manufactures bags, totes, and accessories in Maine on Portland's working waterfront. From the best-selling classic Navy Anchor Tote to fresh new designs, Seabags offers retired sails another life by turning them into handmade, one-of-a-kind, nautical-inspired pieces. Please visit the Seabags store in Portland or Freeport or go to www.seabags.com to browse their unique collection. Shannon Kinney has become somewhat well-known within the state of Maine. She is the founder and client success officer at Dream Local Digital. Shannon initially came from, well, Spruce Head, a little tiny town up the coast of Maine, went to California, made her way in, uh, well, the big city, and then decided, I got I to gotta come back here. We spend a lot of time talking with people who have uh, followed their dreams. So we thought having somebody whose business is dream local made a lot of sense. Thanks for coming in today, Shannon. Hi, thanks for having me. 
Shannon, you were interviewed by Philip Conkling in an article for Maine Magazine about entrepreneurs. You've, you've done a lot of things in your life, um, including being an entrepreneur, but you started before um, working in more of a corporate setting. Yes, I did. Um, I spent many years in newspapers and the media industry. And when I became interested in the internet in 1995, I started uh, getting management roles and corporate roles to help big companies understand how to leverage the internet. It was a terrific learning experience, but uh, I'm really excited now being able to set a culture and tone of my own at our own company. It's funny to hear you talking about... um the internet, sort of when it was new, right? because it's so far along now compared to what it was. How did you know that the internet was going to become an important place for people to learn how to do business? When I started seeing how people could make connections across any geography or any topic of interest, I understood that people would flock there. So we started here actually in Portland, Maine, getting mainetoday.com up and running. And when we began to see how audiences responded to being able to consume news and information and connect to each other, I knew that was uh, the place for me. So I started here in Maine, but then went to startcars.com in Chicago uh, right after that, and then on to Silicon Valley to to have a bigger impact in the in the industry. It was a terrific experience. It taught me a lot about business, about culture in a very accelerated fashion. You know, you, you can have 30 years of corporate life in one year in the internet, uh, which I was I was very blessed to be there that early. Uh, and now the minute I was in a place where I could control it myself and really wanted to set my own tone, I knew Maine was neat where I needed to do it. So I came back. You had to work your way up. You had to spend quite a lot of years um, getting the skills necessary in order to become a success in your field. It's true. It's true. I was away from the mid-coast for 15 years. I was out of Maine for eight of those years to, to really hone that craft. And at the time I left, there wasn't a real culture of entrepreneurship. There wasn't as much of a culture that I could find, at least, of professional development in that field in Maine. I didn't have choices. Um, to stay. Uh, but I'm grateful that I left. I, I've been exposed to so many other things. And as I said to Philip Conkling in the interview, but I noticed one day that all of the art in my house, every time I had three days off in a row, I was coming back here. So I, I thought, okay, I need to start a plan so that I can get back there uh, when I'm ready. So it was, it was a three-year plan to come home, but I'm grateful to be here now. I've been here for seven years now. And you made a stop back along the way. I did. I spent two years in Boston before I moved back to Maine because I wasn't quite sure I could handle the re-entry from Silicon Valley to Maine yet. So I spent a couple years on the North Shore of Boston to you know, work in Boston for a while, help some clients and companies there, and then spend weekends up in Maine to sort of gradually re-enter the culture here. It was a, gr- it was a great move for me. Tell me about Dream Local. Tell me what it is that your company actually does. We help small businesses and medium-sized businesses market themselves online. 
So we offer solutions in websites, in social media, email marketing, search engines. And then we also work with larger companies like web development firms or newspaper companies so that they can offer those services to their advertisers. So our mission is to help as many small and medium-sized businesses in North America as we can, and we reach that through ourselves and through several other partners. We're currently in nine cities and slated to be in 26 before the end of the year and about 60 by the end of 2014. So although you're based here in Maine, you're actually um, reaching a far greater geographic area. Right, we are. We're helping businesses in local markets all over North America. We have about, today, about a third of our clients are here in Maine, and we started. Our roots are here. You know, I wanted to use Silicon Valley expertise to help local businesses here. And now we've cultivated what we've learned, and we share it with a lot of other markets as well. But the majority of our employees are here in Maine. We have some in other states and other cities, and they're terrific, and we're very grateful for them, but our, the root of the company is here. I believe that we're in a place now where most people recognize that the internet is um, an important part of conducting business. I think we're still in a place where people are realizing how social media can have an impact. Facebook, Twitter, um, even LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Was it hard initially to convince people of the importance of having a website, or um, is it hard now to convince them of the importance of having a Facebook page? I find that in the, initially when we started in 2009, um, we didn't have flocks of businesses running to the door to understand it. Uh, we had a lot of clients who understood they wanted a web presence, but they weren't convinced that social media was going to make a difference. Today, though, it's a little different. It's evolved quite a bit in the past several years where businesses at least recognize the importance of having their brand there because so many people are there. Over 1 billion people are on Facebook, 250 million on LinkedIn, 500 million on Twitter, and they hear about it a lot and recognize they're interested in figuring it out, but they don't have time and they don't know what to do. The other thing businesses are becoming really aware of is the need to show up well on search engines because so many of us rely on Google alone to just find somebody's phone number or anything that we need. And that that shift in consumer behavior has really made businesses aware that this is something that they need uh, to, to succeed on well in the short term. So we're excited to help them. Um, more than half of all searches are actually on a mobile device, too. M- those of us who have smartphones are a lot better at using them, and we, we understand how to use the search engines and try to find what we're looking for. So we try to help businesses be found in that space. It's something that I think that we all recognize, well, many of us recognize the importance of. And I, and I do know that there are businesses that hope to capitalize on social media or on on web development and hire somebody who, like a kid, they think, well, I'm of a certain age. I don't really understand this, but my teenage brother understands this. So I'm going to hire my teenage brother. But that doesn't always get the results that they're looking for. It's so true. And we have 
um, businesses that do exactly what you're saying or that try to do it themselves when they have time, which is a famous phrase that we all use, myself included. And what we think is really important for businesses is like anything else that you're doing, you really need to have a plan and a strategy. And so the first thing that we work with our clients on is understanding their business better and what their goals are so that we can help them come up with the best plan for them um, online. And the fact that we worked with businesses nationally helps us because what will work for a roofer here in Midcoast, Maine may also work for a roofer in Bakersfield, California or in Kenosha, Wisconsin. And so we're able to bring in the best practices that we see from around the nation to our businesses in the local markets, which has been really successful. So having that strategy and that plan is so critical. Um, And also understanding the difference between how you would speak to a consumer on different networks. How we talk to somebody on Facebook is different than how we speak to them on Twitter or on LinkedIn. And not every network is needed for every business. So a plan is really important. And that's something that we pride ourselves on is understanding our clients very well. The goal of the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour is to help make connections between the health of the individual and the health of the community. The goal of Ted Carter-inspired landscapes is to deepen our appreciation for the natural world. Here to speak with us today is Ted Carter. We live in a very coarse and ugly world today. The media surrounds us with a constant barrage of predatory commercials, murders, chaos, economic peril, wars, on and on. John O'Donohue, one of my favorite theologians, writes, Even amidst chaos and disorder, something in the human mind continues to seek beauty. Land and landscape offer this refuge. When I work with clients, I always envision how these lovely landscaped areas will offer a home to all those that enter that will help soothe them and make them whole once again. Refreshed and in balance, they can now return to the harsh, demanding world that awaits them beyond this magical oasis. I'm Ted Carter, and if you'd like to contact me, I can be reached at tedcarterdesign.com. We'll return to our program after acknowledging the following generous sponsors. Dr. John Herzog of Orthopedic Specialists in Falmouth, Maine. At Orthopedic Specialists, ultrasound technology is taken to the highest degree. With state-of-the-art ultrasound equipment, small areas of tendonitis, muscle and ligament tears, instability, and arthritic conditions can be easily found during examination. For more information, visit orthocareme.com or call 207-781-9077. We at the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour know that our listeners understand the importance of the health of the mind, body, and spirit. Here to talk about the health of the body is Travis Bullier, a premier sports health, a division of Black Bear Medical. Achilles injury, ankle problems, a knee that bases its mobility on the weather. Black Bear Medical understands that we all have issues when it comes to our health. Whether we overtrain, have been in an accident, or just require daily living aids, we all need that little bit of help. For 25 years, we specialize in home medical equipment, mobility, and medical supplies. We've expanded to help those active individuals of all ages with injuries and issues with our new sports medicine line. Regardless of what ails you, stop by our store at 275 Marginal Way in Portland to talk to our experienced staff, or visit blackbearmedical.com to see what we can do for your health. Life can be a bear, 
attack it with Black Bear Medical. There is something also that um, I think you're speaking to somewhat, which is which is the voice and helping clients even understand not only what their mission is, but how do you put that out there? You know, what what is the voice that you want to have? We, I think for. Each client, it's a little bit different, but in every case, it has to really sound like them. It's very, you know, we try to understand their tone, their mission, uh, the way they present themselves in their other types of marketing. And and particularly, we spend a lot of time on their target audiences, like who are you really trying to reach and what motivates that person? And I, interestingly enough, many small businesses don't know the answer to their real target audience because they're so used to buying traditional media where you can't really target. You're either in the sports section or the lifestyle section. They don't realize that I can find women with houses between 150 and 250,000 who are professional. So once we have an understanding of who the audiences are and who the company is, it helps us develop a voice together with our client to make sure that we're on the right page before we start blasting anything out online for there for them. Um, and in many cases, we work with our clients to do things like plan their events or other things because they feel like we really do understand their voice. Or we do design print ads for Main Home and Design, for example, for clients that feel like, you know what I'm trying to say. Help me say it there. And so that's, that's a big part of what we do. I do enjoy spending time looking at Main Magazine, Main Home and Design, and trying to figure out you know, who is who's working on their strategies, who's working on their marketing, you know, how it is that they are, um, what the messages they're trying to get across, and is it really being effectively offered? And it's not a criticism of either of the magazines, because some of these ads are done in-house, some of these come from other places. But I'm not sure that people understand just exactly how important marketing really is, because sometimes the ads that are sent in don't reflect what I think people hope that they do. Or they may not reflect the audience of the magazine, which is interesting. So we, um, I think that's a great point. And it used to be that people weren't so overwhelmed by information. The average American today, 76% of Americans are overwhelmed by the news and information thrown at them every day. It means we read things differently. We expect something to speak to us, to to garner my attention and time to look at it. So marketing, it's not about advertising anymore. It's now about marketing and understanding who is the reader and and how am I going to get their attention in the most compelling way. And so for us, when we went to design our first ads for one of our clients in Main Home and Design, spent a ton of time thinking about the audience, looking at the other ads, having people here look at the ads. Do you like the design? Do you feel like this is going to flow well with the magazine? That is part of the process now to make sure that they're going to be as effective as possible um, at reaching the audience that you need to reach. I was running through the Portland Jetport a couple of months ago, late as usual, and I saw this advertisement on the wall that said, when can you stop working? Right? And instantly in my head, I'm like, never, keep running, get on my flight. I come back and I'm going down the escalator and I see it again over baggage claim. When can you stop working? Now, this ad was for a financial services company that if they had said something like, manage your 401k yourself, I would have been like, like, who has time for that? And kept running. Like, I probably wouldn't have even read it. Um, But when they said, when can you stop working? It 
it spoke to me and made me pay attention to what they were trying to say. And, and that's how marketing needs to be today, whether you're on Facebook or Twitter or a billboard or a main magazine, you have to understand who your audience is and try to speak to their language, not yours. I'm, I'm familiar with that ad. And I mean, I think it's something that really grabs a lot of people and it's very well placed because mm-hmm. there you are, you're in the airport, maybe you're going on vacation or maybe you're going to some business you know, right. trip. And so I think that's very true. I, I think in the past there has been criticism of media and marketing um, as being manipulative. And there's this whole idea that, you know, people who are marketing are like madmen, you know, that we're all, <laughs> that we're all just trying to, you know, we're just all pawns in this big chess game. But I don't really think that that's true. Right. I think, I think there were many years where advertising, traditional advertising was very much like that. It was trying to create a need in people and solve that need. Today, with the rash of information that people have thrown at them every day, now people are savvier and they're empowered to find information on anything that they want to know. If I feel like I'm concerned about a health problem, I can go to WebMD, look it all up, see what people say about it. So it's now today's consumer is much more motivated about being empowered, informed, and saving them time. Because now with all of this information and all of these more connections that we can keep, we're all busier than ever before. And so we try to position our clients at least as resources in their space so that we can help people understand what might be the right way to think about their product or service. And I think the when can I stop working is a billboard example of that. Instead of telling me I should have a portfolio, they're, they're, they're speaking what my pain point is. But in many of our cases, we're writing blog posts about what type of roofing might be right for you. Is metal right for your house? Is architectural shingles right for your house? And rather than just saying, hey, here's what we do and here's our phone number. We try to be resources to people. And that type of content is what people really respond to. And I think it's about how businesses will market themselves today. It's about what's your story? How can you help? your clients, and how can you um, listen and respond to them in ways that are compelling? You know, how can, if somebody happens to be on Twitter complaining about their flight, how can you surprise and delight them by not only hearing them, but responding to them and offering them some sort of help? For entrepreneurs, and um, of course you were mentioned in the article that Philip Conkling wrote about entrepreneurs in Maine Magazine, marketing sometimes gets put pretty far down on the list. And a constant refrain is, we don't have enough to market. We don't have enough money to market. But in some cases, that's, I mean, that's backward thinking. Actually, most, probably most cases, that's backward thinking. Mm -hmm. Because if you have a great product, but nobody knows about it, nobody's going to buy it anyway. So you really can't afford not to market. It's true. It really is true. But we work with a lot of small businesses to start small so that they can begin to see successes. And in many cases for us, we try to be in it with our clients and recognize we're going to help you get your strategy and your plan and teach you how to do it yourself until you can afford to have assistance in that space. But we we try to help them get started as much as they can. And for many businesses, it is um, daunting for them to even consider investing in this space. And I, I can say one of my famous lines with our our investors is, if I could make it in Maine, 
I can make it anywhere. Because small businesses here really didn't see a lot of value necessarily in that type of marketing. Um, the economy was slow to recover and is still slow recovering here in Maine. And the average client uh, for many years was paying us around $150 a month. So we're like bleeding for this money, like how hard we work, but we're proud to do it. And we're proud each year that our average monthly spend goes up because we feel like we've earned it. Uh, we've earned it by proving that it can work with our clients. And we've been right out there with them, you know, willing to take the risks it takes to make the investments to help them grow. You were named one of uh, main biz magazines, Women to Watch in 2013. And obviously, um, You've gotten some attention of late, but I know that as an entrepreneur yourself, it hasn't all been um, sunshine and rainbows. <laughs> so true. One of the uh, co-founders of Twitter, Biz Stone, has this fantastic line, a quote about how it takes, there's nothing like 10 years of hard work and sweat and tears to be called an overnight success. And I share that one with our clients a lot because in our in our team, the dream team, because we have really worked very hard. It's been four years at this company and many years building the research and the relationships before to get to where we are today. Um, but I think that's what makes us stronger. And like many famous companies, we started in a garage um, until three years ago. We were in my garage over my house, and uh, there was really no space between my life and the business, and actually there really is very little one now, but I think it, it's made us strong, and, it, and it's also um, really core to the values and one of the reasons I wanted to be back here in Maine um, is people here understand that sort of fortitude and what it takes to get there. And I'm, I'm deeply humbled for the attention that we're getting now. And I'm excited that it's helping my company and my clients move our mission forward. Uh, um, but it's a, it is a very humbling experience. The main biz piece, they knew things about me. I, I don't know where they dug that stuff up. Um, but I was very, uh, very humbled by the experience. Now our job is to uh, increase increase our reach to help more businesses with some of this um, some of the people paying attention to what we're doing now I mean a lot of people talk to me about how can I do it like my Facebook profile for example is like a public figure and my there's really no line between my business and my professional life and my personal life in many cases but I feel like there is value in that in that it's very real all the time and my I believe in what I'm doing very strongly and I believe that our team does too and I'm grateful that I can have employment that allows me to feel so strongly about what we're doing that I don't need that barrier between. Of course, it's it's weird when I go to Hannaford or the grocery store in my town and people will recognize Rachel and not me, which is fabulous because she has her own little Chicky Poo TV series online. And we she'll get noticed and uh, by people and be like, oh, it's the Chicky Poo, it's the Chicky Poo. And, you know, and, and the same thing happens with me sometimes and we're both just like, oh, it's so cool to be in Maine and, and, and have that kind of community experience where people will say things to us. It's fun. So when you're not online, how do you sort of get offline? How do you unplug? And what do you do? For me, I'm online most of the time. Um, and, and I may not respond to everything all of the time. But the biggest thing I do to unplug is actually Rachel. Like, I force myself when I'm not 
working or when we have we set aside pockets of time where I'm very present with her and I I'm so grateful that she came into my life because it allows me and forces me to take the time to do that to be present in the moment when I'm with her and even if we're semi-connected doing something the focus is on her and we we like to be outside we like to get involved we like to do a lot of community things and um and she's really sort of the center of that experience and and also the place maine is a very maine is a brings me a sense of peace but also a sense of place and it's just beautiful to be here even if you you know take a walk at lunch for 10 minutes which i don't do enough but i think about it shannon how do people find out about dream local digital we are online at www.dreamlocal.com or you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash dreamlocal and from there you can find all of our other contact information everywhere or you can find me on Facebook under Shannon Kinney. We've been speaking with Shannon Kinney who is the founder and client success officer with Dream Local Digital who also was profiled by Philip Conkling in Maine Magazine. Thank you so much for taking time out of your very busy schedule to come and talk to us about what it's like to be an entrepreneur living in Maine. Thank you so much for having me. You have been listening to the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, show number 108, Economies of Scale. Our guests have included Philip Conkling and Shannon Kinney. For more information on our guests and extended interviews, visit doctorlisa.org. Also, Read Philip Conkling's article, which includes information about Shannon Kinney, in Maine Magazine. We also invite you to join us at a special event. Senator Angus King will speak about Maine and the global environment at the Physicians for Social Responsibility Maine Chapter Annual Dinner on Tuesday, October 15th. The dinner is a unique opportunity to participate in an interactive discussion with Senator King and learn about PSR Maine's three key issues, climate change, toxics, and nuclear nonproliferation. The dinner is being held on October 15th at the Italian Heritage Center in Portland. For more information, go to psrmaine.org or the PSR Maine Facebook page. Physicians for Social Responsibility Maine is an organization of doctors and other healthcare professionals who approach the major global threats to human survival from the medical public health perspective. They're concerned with the prevention of nuclear war, the prevention of global climate change, and the prevention of exposure to toxic chemicals. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is downloadable for free on iTunes. For a preview of each week's show, sign up for our e-newsletter and like our Dr. Lisa Facebook page. Follow me on Twitter and Pinterest and read my take on health and well-being on the Bountiful blog. We'd love to hear from you, so please let us know what you think of the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour. We welcome your suggestions for future shows. Also, let our sponsors know that you have heard about them here. We are privileged that they enable us to bring the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour to you each week. This is Dr. Lisa Belayo. I hope that you have enjoyed our Economies of Scale show. Thank you for allowing me to be a part of your day. May you have a bountiful life. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and podcast is made possible with the support of the following generous sponsors. Maine Magazine, Marcy Booth of Booth, Maine, Apothecary by Design, Premier Sports Health, a division of Black Bear Medical. Dr. John Herzog of Orthopedic Specialists. Sea Bags. Mike LePage and Beth Franklin of Remax Heritage. Ted Carter, Inspired Landscapes. And Tom Shepard of Shepard Financial. 
The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour is recorded in the studio of Maine Magazine at 75 Market Street, Portland, Maine. Our executive producers are Kevin Thomas and Dr. Lisa Belial. Audio production and original music by John C. McCain. Our assistant producer is Leanne Wiemet. Our online producer is Katie Kelleher. Become a subscriber of Dr. Lisa Belial on iTunes. See the Dr. Lisa website or Facebook page for details. Summaries of all our past shows can be found at doctorlisa.org. Thank you.